Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers. Hi, and it's been a minute. I've been traveling, went to Alaska, went to Kansas, visited B&T Industries over there. Talk about that later. Um, but on the phone to talk to you guys about laser range finders, I have Jim Fish or Big Jim Fish. He does the scope reviews on Snipers Hide on the front page there. He reviews a lot of optics, a lot of products. Goes around the block, sees a lot of people, and um, has some stuff to talk to us about lasers because he had a really important visit. So, Jim, welcome to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Frank. Appreciate you coming so, on. Yeah, so last year I did, a, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole. You know, it started out that I was going to do the review on the, the Leica Pro 32s, the Geovid Pro 32s because uh, they were coming out and I saw they were going to include applied ballistics and I was excited about this. And that, that led to then doing a review of the SIG 10Ks and then the SIG BDX system. And then, um, then Invisti reached out to me and uh, they're the guys that are now part of applied ballistics, but they weren't, they were kind of at that time. Yeah, the and, Invis, uh, that's uh, Nick. He does the electronics. He's the engine guy behind a lot of all the bringing the software into the electronics. So, uh, yeah. Yes, then he does they, the integration. Right, right. There's an official and word for it. And they write the apps as well. Exactly, exactly. So Nick's, do, a, Nick's so a big deal. they do hardware de- and software. And Nick's a big deal. He, he does a lot of the military and that stuff. I see him every year. Usually we run into each other at SHOT Show and catch up. But uh, absolutely, um, the, these are the guys that do all of this, like, electronics and software integration stuff. So, ap- yeah, so you got a good score. Yeah, it turns out that he didn't live very far from me, about an hour and a half. And so I just drove up there and, and had a visit for a day. That was going to be an article, too, but <laughs> there are so many people's uh, products that were involved that had to okay all of the pictures and stuff. <laughs> that it's never gotten okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too many NDAs to sign. <laughs> there were way too many. So, like, the text of the thing, you know, at some point I'll probably just put the text up as it is, even though the applied ballistics and Invisti relationship has changed in that they've actually come in house and he's now, uh, I don't remember what his next title is at applied ballistics, but he, he's. He's now got a title at Applied Ballistics in their one company now. So he was going to iron that whole thing out in the background. But don't you know, he's a little bit busy. Yeah. (laughs) So so the background of the article is kind of dated and the rest of it. And then the pictures never happened. So but hey, the text is approved. So a lot of it's going to be in this podcast anyway. Nice. Nice. So there you you go. You got that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So I fell down that 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 sort of rabbit hole. And I guess we can start with um, kind of some of the changes in laser range finders that we saw this year in terms of how they're processing data, right? Because a few years ago, some of the limits on laser output in order to be considered eye safe changed. And of course we saw a big jump in performance at that point. But the jump we're seeing now doesn't actually really have anything to do with lasers. It has everything to do with processing. It has everything to do with what Nick at Invisti is doing with processing, which really comes down to 
his new product, which is the 10Ks that SIG's offering, it's taking more data points, having more memory location for those data points, and then also processing that return data differently. So by basically sending out the same amount of laser, and in the case of the 10Ks, it's not sending out more laser than any than other class ones, though it is sending out the pulses for a longer time in some modes and with different spacing in some modes. But what it's really doing is it's collecting and processing the data differently. And that's resulted in these incredibly dramatic gains that we've seen from the 10Ks versus other 905 nanometer products, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, SIG really went with like, <laughs> they went with, they took the big risk, right? They took the big swing on this product. They went with all of Applied Ballistics and Invisti's newest capabilities. From a signal processing standpoint, from an add-a-display standpoint. And so they ended up with a product that's very different than previous laser rangefinders. By having that entire OLED screen in there and by processing the return data better. I can see that. I mean, we're see, we're seeing huge changes when you look at the lasers across the board. And like you're saying, the 905s used to luckily hit 1,000 yards in bright daylight. Yes. Now we're out there at the 2,400 yard pretty consistently with, um, you know, even on animal-sized targets. Like, I know I've hit stuff, and I'll talk Revic and them later, but, uh, like, the Revic monocular is one of those ones that you can see the difference in the processing from previous gens to now. When you tap mm -hmm. that laser, the speed in which it refreshes, which is a huge thing we'll, we should get into a little later, but that refresh rate and then that signal, how fast you're getting that return and how accurate it is. I noticed it creeping in to the, the SIGs for sure, because we run the 10Ks here as well as I, I have some of the other ones. Um, the monocular, I think I have the 24AB. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're just seeing such huge gains. And then the other one I know I talked to Nick specifically about was the Leicas that you mentioned when you came mm -hmm. on. And so, yeah, I mean, you can jump into how he's playing with these numbers to make these sort of these lasers now perform better. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Leicas because Leicas are an interesting story, right? Mm -hmm. Leica came out with these geovids at SHOT Show in 2013. Geovids with Perger Pro Prisms. Perger is actually the guy, uh, he's a, uh, a doctorate optics dude that Leica has been working with for years. Perger is the reason that Leica was ahead on laser rangefinders like 10 years ago, basically. Um, so they came out with that rough design back in 2013, right? But they had their own processing software in it, and they'd gone with a, a different person for writing the app, a different company. Yeah, they were proprietary, which it actually created yes. conflicts. And what's happened is, and <laughs> kind of resulted, in, it, was, it probably seemed very bad to them at the time. But it's very good now in that the company that wrote the app for them went out of business, which left them sitting there in what they thought was a very bad state, right? They've got a ballistics app that they can't update. 
Um, they've got software that's baked into the actual hardware that at this point they really can't change. And so what they did is they went to Applied Ballistics and they said, because they're a one-stop shop for both the software and the hardware, and they said, hey, you know, we don't want to leave our customers out cold on these $3,000 binoculars, and we also want to have a path forward. Is there a way that we can integrate our older binoculars and our newer binoculars with your system? And I think this is where some of the confusion started, because I think initially they thought when they were doing that, that the older binoculars, they would be able to make them do everything that they'd be able to do in the future with newer binoculars. Mm -hmm. but, but it turned out the hardware that was actually in the binoculars was not really updatable. And the, the ballistic engine worked in kind of an unusual way. And so what they've done is the old binoculars now use the new app. And when you plug in the data, it looks like applied ballistics. And applied ballistics does its calculations and then essentially translates its calculations to the old system to send to the old binos. It's crazy. And and that's where I yeah. ended up speaking with Nick because we had we get people every now and then with the old binos that haven't gone the upgrade routes and the different things, and they would see these software conflicts that would come into play. And somebody had heard like, yeah, this older light, it was just happened recently, an older set of Leica that weren't upgraded came through and it was like, no, you can't do that with this. And it kind of got back to Nick in a weird way. And he came up to me, he's like, hey, and he reached out. He's like, we fixed the Leica problem. We're doing this. I said, no, these were older ones. And, and so there was confusion as to which set they were, but the person hadn't gone through that upgrade path that they recently created. And so mm -hmm. the, it was an old story that got back to Nick. And so, yeah, I, him and I had a discussion on this. But I was super impressed with like taking care of customers of, of an older product. Cause basically they had to pay to essentially write a significant amount of software to keep those things updatable. Yes. <laughs> Which was not something they foresaw happening. Uh, and on the on the other side of it, the new ones have all the new upgradable hardware baked into them, right? So they can do the applied ballistics engine on the actual binoculars, and they can have they can have the binoculars upgraded with applied ballistics changes in the future. So they're ready to rock and roll in the same way that like the SIGs are. In fact, they have very similar hardware inside them, though. Leica went with a different calculation system for the range, which is why they don't range as far as the 10Ks. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to knock on them to use the other stuff, and I know others are, and we'll, we'll see if they, uh, <laughs> they get moving, because from, from their standpoint, the super success of these pros was a surprise. You know, they're used to a certain size market of high-end hunters buying their stuff. And when they started selling them to competitive shooters and a much larger market, that came as a bit of a surprise. And, and, and you know, so, it should be promoted more on the on the on the comp side of guys. I mean, you have to verify your range, and I know they give them mm -hmm. booklets to kind of shortcut it, but there's like those booklets aren't always right. 
And, you know, a great example we use all the time is Alaska built us, you know, we have our range in Alaska we use all the time. And every Mm -hmm. season we would come back and Alaska would add targets to the range. Last year when we came back, they added a 700-yard target for us. And we're like, great, 700-yard target, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Well, when we get down to the range and we start working, it's 720, actually 718. Mm -hmm. It's 718 and not 700, but they all just say it's 700. But it's 718. And they also don't update your, you know, just knowing the range of the target doesn't give you what range finding binoculars do in terms of throwing in all the atmospherics. Right. And now that's, I was just going to bring that up too. huge, how all these lasers have basically a Kestrel inside. They do. And with, with the exception of the wind reader, and that's going to be changed probably by next year. Cause We'll get to that part, but we'll, the wind reading thing, but they'll be able to do what a Kestrel does. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where I know, like, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times on the hide, and I mentioned it on this podcast before, but about two, three years ago, maybe about three, I kind of fell back in love with applied ballistics and been mm-hmm. using it a heck of a lot more, especially through the Garmin and everything, like the Garmin atmosphere, I just love it. And, you know, I could just take my laser, my, my profile's already in there, uh, and all I have to do is tap the target, roll my wrist, I got my numbers, and I'm a happy camper. And one of the things that people were originally saying was, well, I got to get an applied ballistic Kestrel, an applied ballistics laser, or applied ballistic solver on my phone, you know, and it was like, now you really don't have to do that. You only need one of them, maybe your phone backup to, to communicate, but you don't have to get the Kestrel with the lasers, with all that stuff, because it has it with them. Yeah, the, the phone and the binoculars work together or separately. Yes. And so essentially you have, and it's a little easier with the Leicas because there's a third, there's a 30 day activation thing because when you buy the applied ballistics for a binocular, it's tied to that binocular, Mm -hmm. right? But it's also on your phone, but with most of them, it doesn't work to do its full range of things unless the binoculars are turned on and connected. Right. On the Leica though, it gives you 30 days. So as long as in the last 30 days you turned it on, you got all your stuff running. Which I, well, I appreciate. I mess with that software all the time because it's uh, it's well, functional. Yeah, you I mean, they're loading it in, in so much. Like, even I, I picked up from Mile High um, through Randy over there. I ended up getting a set of, of Vectronics in it now. with the, They're the Gen 3s, but they had AB loaded into them, and, and it, was nice. pre, it was pre-bought with the AB just like because bef- – like. I'm a huge fan of the Vectronics world because originally, like with the Terrapin, I just want the engine and then feed it to either my my Kestrel or feed it to my Garmin or something like that. So just give me the laser to laze and I'm good. Well, so not, you're talking about the pre-X Terrapin. Yeah. The, the, well, the X does it too because the X doesn't have software in it. It's, oh, okay. It's just communication. 
So you, oh, okay. you just go with the X and it's communication. Well, now I'm going with, with the uh, the bigger ones the in the Gen 3s. They're actually putting the AB in it. And you can either turn it on or turn it off how you want. But like you're saying, because the, the, because the atmosphere is already in your laser, you're good to go to use the number in the laser. And like for... This weekend is the Sniper's Hide Challenge in Washington. Find it, range it, engage it. With the team side of that, you don't need to know the range. You just need to know your dope to the target. Mm-hmm. So they cut out a step by basically just, I use your laser, you use mine, and then you feed me my dope, and you're like, okay, target one is 1.3. Okay, target two is going to be 2.5. All right, target three is going to be 3.7. And then I just go you know, the numbers and go through it and we save on communication rather than you telling me, oh, that's a 333 yard target. So you're going to do this. And then, you know, well, who cares? It's 333. Just tell have me. Have you th- seen the, have you seen guys even skipping the communication step and having the phone in front of one dude and the binoculars in the other guy's hand um, so that it, not, it's automatically sending it to the phone for the shooter? Not really. Cause they're building positions in our thing. So the shooter can't, okay access his his gear like that so he has to tell them um only because they have to build a position usually to uh to get over obstacles or the terrain or something but i do know that they switch gear so that way there your lasers running my numbers and my lasers running your numbers and then i'm just giving you which you'll then throw on your arm bar and we're done it's super fast to do that with either one yes as well like the now the Leicas hold just one formula in them at a time, but the formula switches instantly. And then the SIGs, I think they hold 30. Something like that. And even like, yeah, yeah I mean, we don't, we're only shooting the one rifle at the time, so it's easy to turn that stuff. I, I have them all loaded in my Garmin as well on my phone. And, and it was we went to, um, when we went to BNT, I loaded my TAC Ops in with the 6.5. I had the Zeus um with the six millimeter six creedmoor 108s and i'm like okay turn that profile off bring my tac ops on online and then just run from there it's it's so easy now can you believe how good these applied ballistics custom ballistic curves are because i've never seen anything like this before i've you know i've i've messed with ballistics calculators for years and They've required a lot of truing, a lot of messing with the BC, a lot of messing with the muzzle velocity. And the first time I've tried this new applied ballistics custom curves thing, like, holy crap, man. It's like, it's dead on. It is for, basically, if if you have a 24 or longer barrel, I find they work. The shorter ones in our classes... I wish they let us adjust the curve a little bit to nudge mm-hmm. it because if the barrel length or their muzzle velocity, usually it's under. Usually it's somebody who has a short rifle, a 20-inch, an 18-inch. Then the curve doesn't line up because it throws the muzzle velocity off enough. It's it's broken the curve enough with a shorter rifle. But if somebody okay. has a 24-inch to 26-inch barrel and their velocity's where it should be, then they work really well. But I do see, with, and, and this is the bitch with people who get shorter rifles, is those 20 and 18-inch guys, the curves don't generally work as well for them. Um, and I do wish I could tweak a custom curve 
<laughs> this is this is something several people have said. Yes, I wish I could tweak a custom curve because usually it's somebody trying to use a bullet that's similar to X bullet, but isn't exactly X bullet. Exactly, and we do and they're see like, that. Well, it's close. Why can't I? If I could just take X bullet, tweak it a little, it'd be right. You know. And we do see that because the variety comes up and, and, you know, guys will be like, oh, I got a custom curve at my 140. And then the next thing you know, they bought a case of 143s because that's all they can mm-hmm. get. And they're trying to wedge them in together. I've seen that as well. And you can't blame the curve on that. That's, you know, that's the life of the guy trying to make it work. But for yeah. sure, the, the, the custom curves do make life so much easier um, for somebody who who doesn't want to take the time and true their BC and go through the process, uh, it, it is definitely a way to um, to simplify your life, with, especially with the, the lasers and the apps. And maybe you're in the hunting world. You know, you built yourself a new 7PRC. You're going to zero it up, get it ready. You go on your hunts, and then that's really all you shoot it for because you don't use it as a target rifle. So mm-hmm. in those cases, they work fantastic. Yeah. And the out-of-the-box numbers will be, in my experience, so much better than out-of-the-box numbers without truing that I've ever run into before. Because I've never had things before that I didn't have to true it significantly. But out of, like, trying six different rifles with this, four of them were dead on. Yeah. That makes all sense. All the way out. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a 22 that doesn't stay stable all the way out. And the other one, I'm not sure I quite got exactly the right bullet because I wasn't exactly sure everything about what they were shooting. Yeah, what they were using. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I mean, that, I mean, that was like that the one. prime in the Norma. People didn't, re- you know, where do they find that golden target eagle bullet from Norma? Because it's not always listed. And that was mm-hmm. one of those kind of ones where people just fudge the 130 because there was so many different like 130s. And it was like, well, that's a golden target, which is kind of like a CNR, which is kind of not like a VLD, but maybe. And so, yeah, you you did see stuff like that happening where they were close, but no real cigar. Now, have you? I have. I don't do a lot of shooting past transonic, but you probably do. How are they holding up past transonic? The models. Everything seems to be. I don't see. Um, I don't see any of the software giving us big trouble because we regularly, especially now, like when guys come to Fort Morgan, we'll let the three hundred eight shoot to a mile. We mm-hmm. almost always have the six five shooting to a mile. And they generally carry really well. Uh, it depends on to the level that the person set their software up. Yeah, uh, and because me- I know they've got another factor in there for the transonic transition. Yeah, and, and most of them are pretty darn close. I haven't run into anything that was so wildly off. Um, like I said, the only time we do notice that is like when the rifle and their muzzle velocity is shorter and down and maybe transonic creeps in a little sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really the only time I notice any kind of hassle that way. But I mean, in like, if you talk like 800 and in 99% of the time, everything works off of that eight and in it's that eight to out that you're usually tweaking at that last bit 
Mm-hmm. And so we do find that they're pretty rock solid, and especially in, in most people's working ranges, without having to go through too much effort to true it up. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So let's see. I, I guess we'll talk a little bit about the other factors with the the Leicas and the SIGs, which is that, you know, these Leicas are just fantastically comfortable bird watching quality binoculars right um and i think that that that's definitely been their focus Mm -hmm. now that shooters are really picking them up a lot it's it's kind of been a surprise to them i'd really like them to take the 15 power version and put in the oled display and yeah i know it's going to hurt the the optics a little for that, but I feel like they could make those into a competitive focus one because certainly these others are hunting focused, though they're going to handle everything most competitors want them to do. They're not really set up to output in the way that people on a very timed clock are going to want. Like everybody wants them, wants to be able to change when things show up in the display and what order and what the timing is right because mm-hmm. it's like two it, it's like range two seconds drop two seconds windage two seconds yeah. and then does that again right now it all pops up instantly on your phone so i guess you know you can have your phone out but people would like to be and in a lot of cases people would like to be range first or sorry drop first so that i save two seconds when getting on target right now right right you know? Um, so, but I think that for a lot of people, really these, both of these products probably meet their basic needs. I I certainly use them pretty interchangeably on the range. Um, I often take two pairs if I'm going shooting with other people and we just kind of swap out, you know, who's using what all the time. Usually I find the Leicas are for the, the higher dollar guy who's a little bit more connoisseur. And the SIGs we'll see are across the board with most people, are, are especially if they're, like you're saying, if they're that kind of bigger competitor, the SIGs yeah. tend to jump out a little bit. If they're more of the, I'm going to compete a little, maybe I'm going to hunt here and I'm going to do this, but I like nice stuff, it's almost always the Leica. Because Leica's right up there in the reputation as Choro, you know? And, and yeah, really, it's it's a lot of what you like optically. Exactly. Yeah, they're very good, but they're not the same, right? Swarovski has a very has a very um, aggressive field flattener. So when you when you're moving it across objects, they don't bend. Mm-hmm. They they're not distorted, but this makes everything look like it's the same distance from you. Right. Right. The postcard. Yes. Whereas if you're looking through Leicas, Leicas have, and not just on these binos, but in general, they don't do field flatters really as a, and so people who like something where they can see a bit of depth to the image, you can see that because of the distortion, which is kind of interesting. It doesn't really look distorted to you when you're doing it, but when you move it across things, you can see that it, that it has right. some, what's called barrel or pincushion distortion. Well, and that's where binos are supposed to give you better depth of field 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're getting a, a set of binos that give you a postcard look, that's kind of defeating the purpose of a set of binos. Well, some people love it. Yeah, well, they do. Her, but I mean, I mean I, that I've was always like, yeah, I've always gone the other direction a little. I like to see a little more depth to the image. Also, if you really like colors to look true, Swarovski's are truer than Leica's, but Leica's pop more. Mm hmm. So it looks like it has more contrast and more vibrance, and it looks it looks realer than real through the Leicas, and it looks more accurate through the Swarovskis. Right. And on the other side too, the because of the prism system, the the uh, Perger Pro prism that the uh, Leicas use, they have less chromatic aberration than the uh, Swarovskis, significantly so actually which is a, a plus that that system has versus the roof prism that the Swarovskis well, are using. And in, that's why, you know, every, you see people will go in that Leica direction because they're trying to get that Zeiss level of glass in, in versus, you know, more of the, uh, the, I guess, the Japanese side of the world. You, you know, the, there's the guys that'll get the Vortexes, the SIGs, and those kind of binoculars and you'll notice a huge difference compared to the European binoculars within that, you know, with, between the Schwaros, the Leicas and the Zeisses, that's where the glass shines. And then mm-hmm. you look at the, the SIGs and the vortexes and, and stuff, that's where sort of the value comes in. But with that same engine. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the Leica glass is, dramatically better than yeah the yeah and that's why most and people no question, go no towards question. it yeah and that's why they have kept the display system they've kept too with the segmented led display that display actually takes 16 times as much energy to run as the oled display by the way so they they go through batteries significantly faster yeah and i could because, see that too but you have to put less of a dramatic filter in between the lenses in order to make that much brighter display show up so you can make the optics better, but it limits you in terms of what you can put in the display. It's crazy. We it's, get trade-offs, always trade-offs. It, there's always in optics. There's always trade-offs. This is true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I think in the future, you're going to see more people using the new the new range finding engine. So you're going to see the range increase from that. And I think there's going to be significantly more products do the OLED screens as well. Even if the Europeans never go to them, because like I said, it's an optical trade-off and they don't like optical trade-offs. Well, and that's like this week, I just got the, um, the Revic, the uh, BLR 10 B's, the Mm -hmm. binocular laser range finder. And we took it out the other day with it and their OLED and I mean, it's a nice picture. The engine's there now. I have also have Revix monocular, and whatever mm-hmm. is powering that, because Aaron and Gunworks Revic, they kind of they're their own engine. They do everything themselves in a lot of ways, and Aaron works his own software and that. the The monocular is insanely fast and accurate with a crazy refresh rate. And it's LED reticle has sort of like this two part to it with a like a, a coarse and a fine aiming. 
And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was like, wow, this thing is amazing. And I was hoping that same engine was going to be in the binoculars, but the binoculars are more in line with the vortexes and the SIGs versus the monocular. Like I think mm-hmm. Revix monocular is unique in its own way. Yet the binos to me are very similar uh, to your uh, your Vortexes and SIGs, although I think over the Vortex, which very similar engine to your Vortex Furies, the the Revix more elegant. You know what I mean? So for somebody who wants a similar kind of features, it still has that advertised five thousand yards on something highly reflective. Um, you know the the similar controls, and, and it still has it has a Kestrel style engine in it. Uh, so you you have your temperature, your pressures, and all that, uh, but I think it's got like a just a touch better glass and a better look mm. to it than sort of the Furies, but very similar. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point too with the. Uh, so one of the features that Sig was able to add with the OLED screen is that you can zero the reticle. I love that. That is amazing. Right? Yeah, that is so damn important. It is. And it's it's not true of many rangefinders uh, in terms of a lot of them aren't zeroed that well. No, I, I mean, I have actually my SIG AB2400, the laser hits at 2 o'clock on the donut. Mm. Right on the edge of the donut, you put 2 o'clock on what you want, and you'll end up getting it better than in the middle. And I don't know if that has an update. I haven't played with those in a while. I, I'm beyond them now, but... um. So I don't know if I can adjust it in that, but when you couldn't, I use telephone poles. I go about 800 yards away and I'll find a clean pole and I'll work the top of the pole uh, and find where my laser's actually hitting it. I and, use railroad signs. Yeah. You, you know, it's similar, but, and so I work the top of a telephone because actually behind me, I have a perfect one and I'm out in the country. Mm-hmm. So there's next to nothing on the top of it. And and so it's super clean and it's right there. All I have to do is turn around and I could put the laser on a tripod and then I could figure out where it's hitting. Now, like I said, I've kind yeah. of personally moved up into the etched reticle and the Vectronic side, but with the um the OLDs and stuff like that, you definitely want to find where it's hitting. And a lot of the Leicas we find are at like right at six o'clock. Like the, the ones I've got are, they're dead on. on are the they Leica. dead on the Leica? Nice. So that's like I said. <laughs> Which I had is a, good because there's no way to change it. <laughs> no, no. And mine, were, mine were at six o'clock in the square box. You basically put the six o'clock on the little square box, mm-hmm. and dead on right there. You know you were gonna nail it. Um, so I'm, you know, maybe kind of close to perfect is what it would look like by you know lollipopping it at six. It hits the middle too, but. Six was dead on for me. Ah, the SIGs, I I moved the reticle significantly, but they're dead on now. Being able to move the reticle is a, and that's a, that's a great way to be able to manufacture them less expensively too, because aligning those things is not a thing that you, that's going to be low cost. No, you don't want to play with in, in a lot of times you can't like with those Leicas, there was one batch. I remember on the hide came through. There were the old, the old nine hundreds and stuff. We're going years, years ago. Yeah. They like moved in transit and they actually had a problem where like the diode kind of got banged out of place. 
And mm. and so the LED and it didn't line up and there was some warranty stuff that popped up. It was like a single batch happened in transit and people were getting them and going, oh, shit, this isn't right. And and like immediately covered it and it, and it disappeared quickly. But um, the, the ability. I think that I think that Leica has put that the emitter outside of the lens primarily to make it easier to zero it better for them. Oh, well, OK. I think that might be the design in that because it look when I look at the, they have like an exploded view diagram when they're showing you the incredible design of fitting all the electronics into you know round barrels and the difficulty of that. Mm-hmm. And it really, when you see it disassembled, it, it definitely looks like a design award. It's really something to see how they tuck that all in there. But you can see that like the way that that emitter is separate from that lens that makes it a lot easier to put little adjusters in there so that they can and i know that they've worked on having higher standards of alignment than most other rangefinder makers do and i think that might be part of the part of the sauce to how they get that done yeah what where is it hitting we, we that's because it is huge important i mean you, you should uh-huh. be hitting what you're aiming at and if you think you're it's meant to aim here and it's off that's that's a big deal because then you're getting this, you know, no return, no return. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, and it takes a a fairly advanced level user to understand that it's not maybe right, you know, and to actually go and test that out and figure out where on the reticle it is. And then, of course, you have to remember where on the reticle is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another issue. Well, that, and that's it, you know, and, and um. But it, you know, like I said, with, with the ability to adjust it, now you adjust it and you move on, and you don't have to sweat it. Exactly. One, one of the things too, did you guys talk? Because this comes up all the time, and I can give you my opinions and stuff down. But I wonder about the blue in the SIGs. Yeah. Okay. So it's a notch filter, right? Is what that is. It's uh, in order to make the red show up brighter, you filter the incoming light. And you just, just, just a couple of, just a little bit of wavelengths. And the funny thing is, I thought that because it looks very obviously blue, I thought this thing isn't going to perform as well in low light, right? There's a significant amount of light being blocked. But when I tested it out, there isn't really that much light being blocked. It's just so obvious to our eye. Yeah, and and that's where I was kind of going to go because I I know it comes up all the time. And the thing with me, because I hesitated, but then I was getting a, a, a set. I had a, a, an opportunity with a set. So it was like, all right, let me grab them and let me look at it. Your eyes adjust to them really fast. Yes, they do. You start to not notice it. As long as the binos are still over your eyes. Yeah, well, (laughs) they get you, honestly, really fast. When you're using it in the day, they go away pretty darn quick. I mean, yeah, if you haven't been touching it all day and then you pick it up, it's going to be a second. But, I mean, look at it go back to the time with the Schmidt and Benders, and everybody used to be like, well, that is a blue blocker. That's a blue blocker. And, And, you know, they would talk about the coatings and the things of the scopes to pull the different colors of animals and things out of the green and, and so, you know, there was always discussions of filtering and coatings and what color is doing what to the spectrum out there when we're looking for something. So it makes perfect sense. 
to add this in to pull the things we want to see out. They know what we want to look at because they're looking at the same thing as us too. And, and so the ability to kind of splash a little color on there and give you that little leg up, I mean, I think it's smart. It makes that display very daytime bright, despite yeah. its, its extraordinarily low energy use. And they obviously went that direction. I think in the future, because of how much crap they've gotten on the blue, you may end up with a display that's a little less daytime bright and a blue that's a little less noticeable. And I, was it between like the eights and tens? They they knock the blue down probably a shade. One of them is like really heavy, and then like the tens aren't bad at all. But wasn't there one in there? Maybe it was even in the BDX that was a little bit heavy, and it seems like they may have chilled it a little. I haven't seen the other ones. Oh, I've okay. Yeah, maybe it was me. Maybe it was just my eye. But I, I kind of felt like maybe one of the earlier models that when they first did the blue was pretty heavy, and then it sort of kind of got a little less like, here's the happy spot. Yeah. Which, who knows? I don't know. Maybe, like I said, it could be my eyes, too. It's interesting, you know, when I was taking the pictures, the through the lens pictures for the review, some of them look blue and some of them don't. And it's kind of funny that way, like the actual pictures when you're taking it. And so I went through a lot of pictures to find one that I felt looked and felt like the binos look and feel. Because sometimes out of context, you don't notice, you know? Mm-hmm. I almost Whereas wonder in, if that's also what you're looking at when you take the picture or if the other camera's just cleaning it up, which is possible now because everything's got a brain in it. So who knows? Yeah, the, the, well, that's why iPhones take such good pictures is that they've got, <laughs> they've got the, the AI in there cleaning it up. This mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. It may be there may be a bit of that. Boy, iPhones should take good pictures through Vinos too. Let me tell you, they do. They're amazing, and you can sometimes you can watch it change it too. Like the like you uh-huh. watch the AI kind of work as like, oh wow, that looks really good now. And the the like the relief that they need is just almost exactly right on what a Bino gives them. So they, like it's not difficult. Like taking it through the scope picture is easy. In fact, you can you can put cardboard spacers and stuff on the back of your phone. So that you just slap it right up against the bino and it's like a telephoto lens. Oh, nice. It's, it's rather, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to do. I know they've got some. You can also pay the Europeans a lot for those, by the way, for a phone case that does exactly what the piece of cardboard does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and there's <laughs> all, there's all those the Facebook ads, yeah. too. Yeah. The cardboard worked fine for me, though. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, there's, a, there's always a way I'll rig it, right? <laughs> So let's talk a little about wind, right? Okay, yeah, let's get into the wind side. So the 10Ks, of course, come with a little wind meter, uh, a weather flow wind meter that, mm-hmm. that are, is already integrated into them. But it's kind of, it's a little bit limited in how it works, right? So it takes the wind while you're doing the range itself. And then it gives you an icon to say that, to let you know that the wind that's showing up in your binoculars is now the calculation that it's done, right? But it's not taking the wind over an extended period of time. And it also, its wind meter doesn't know which way it's pointed. So you have to (laughs) tell the software which way it's pointed, which is, 
I mean, they need a Calypso. I don't know why we're not yes. using the Calypso. I love the well, Calypso. We will be next year. Okay, the Calypso is <laughs> awesome. We need to be using the Calypso. Yeah, at least with the Bushnells, we will be next year. Yeah, Invisti is working on integrating this. Bushnell showed it at the Shot Show. Um, I think it was kind of. They said I could talk about it. <laughs> okay, yeah, and if they didn't, the hell with them. They they said I could talk about it. They, but they I mean. Said I, and uh, yeah, so they're going to have a product that's got the AB ballistics in it. It's going to do the whole Kestrel thing, including the wind, and it's going to do it with the multi-directional Calypso wind meter, right? It makes so much sense. I mean, I have I I not only have the Calypso, but I have the um the the wind zone, the wind zero meters that are this. They're the big brother of the Calypso. And, and, Jeez. And, and you always got the fancy shit. Yeah, you? well, at the expo, they had them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're putting them on drones now. They're sending them up on a drone and sending a drone over and let it run the wind over there, especially for like ELR and stuff. You can run a drone oh, wow. and get it out because they're th- this, uh, the Calypso Big Brother and then mm-hmm. the Wind Zero uh, unit basically. Wi-Fi's, Bluetooth, whatever you want to call it, like to a mile. So I can set an array around the range. I have several of them and get the wind coming in. And then we have the software that's tracking it. And the software now lets you put your holds into it. So it'll show you your hold changes in real time. And we're playing with that. And I've had the Calypso for more than a year now. And I just love that thing. I take it out. Even if I'm not connecting it to everything, I'll take it out and 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 put it in weather mo- meter mode or weather station mode mm-hmm. and track it. And then I'll watch yeah. the tracks and see what it's doing. But I love using that clip. So I put it on a monopod that has the um the feet on the bottom, the tripod feet fold down on the bottom of a monopod. Okay. And I just stick it out on the range there where I am. And then I, I put a phone holder for a bicycle, like a handlebar holder. And I can put the um the phone right on it and create its own weather station with a phone I don't use. It's a, it's a Google phone that I don't have connected. And mm-hmm. so what I'll do is I'll take my monopod with my phone attached and my Calypso, basically stake it. And then I can watch my wind and I, all I have to do is walk over to it and I could see what it's doing, direction changes. All right, it's doing a little of this bounce right here. Okay, it hasn't changed too much. And I run it that way as well and I just love it. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that idea of taking the wind over a longer amount of time. I mean, wind in general is kind of, I feel like, it depends a good deal where in the country you are and what things look like. Cause where I shoot most of the time, which is Rainers here in Ohio, we're kind of on top of a hill and we're shooting across valleys in three different directions. And the wind in those valleys and the wind on the top of the hill are not very closely related to right, each other. Right. You know, the air flows through those valleys mostly in the same directions range trip to range trip. And although you can feel standing on the hill, whether or not it's a windy day, that's all the more help you have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, the People are always like, Oh, I, you know, I wanted to, I want to instantly do my wind and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, it's not doing wind on the line that your bullet is flying. 
So how much is it helping you to know the instantaneous wind? You might be better off knowing the wind over the course, you know, the average over the course of the last five minutes, because over the course of the range you're shooting at, if it's not in an odd hilly location like I'm in, that average might be a good indication of what's going on generally out there, right? Yeah. But the instantaneous might not be (laughs) at, at the point of your particular location, which brings me to wind reading in the line of bullet flight. Cause I wanted to talk to Nick about this cause he's done some of this stuff. Right. So we talked about that, you know, the, the integration of these. Yeah. The zones. Doppler and the stuff like that. Cause I did that with the, the DARPA thing with the, the Trigicon. They did that on rifles only like 12 years ago with us. Yeah. The Ventus, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. But that is not exactly line of sight. Because that one is shooting lasers off at, I think, like 30 degrees up and 30 degrees left, and then like 30 degrees up and 30 degrees right. Mm-hmm. And it's calculating it from that. So it's not exact, it's not at your location, but it's also not in the direction. It's of the giving flight. you a multi, I don't want to call it atmosphere, but it's giving you a multi layer flow rather than just mm-hmm. one kind of part of the layer. It's giving you. I guess more of a terrain model of the flow than a yeah. straight line speed. Exactly. Which is, it's better than having a wind at a point, but it's not as good as if you had the wind in the actual line of flight. Well, line of flight or line of sight. Which yeah. Aren't the same thing at those distances. But I was talking to Nick about how to do wind in line of sight and whether or not we were going to get this in the near future, because I know that, a lot of different people are working on it. And basically the way that this works is you send out a, a LIDAR signal. So you send out a laser mm-hmm. and then you have to capture what that laser signal looks like hitting your target. So basically you have a, a high-end camera that captures the changes to that signal versus how you sent it. And it uses that to, it's essentially reading the mirage. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you can calculate the wind. But in order to do, and actually you can do it pretty accurately. Like the way that he said it. Yeah, they did. They had one that was a push and a laser went and it read like the particulate movement in the air or some crazy shit. I don't remember. They did have a line of sight laser when like Trigicon was there. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I forget what they told us they read, but it was more like microscopic dust in the air that was moving that the laser looked at because it interrupted. Like you're saying, it basically, it distorts the signal ever so slightly of the wavelength or whatever I want to call it. And it knows, well, when it came out, it was this. When it came out with this, well, which way did it push? It pushed that way. Mm-hmm. How far did it go? It went that far, so that means it's this wind. And it can do that with a reasonable amount of accuracy, but you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in equipment. And crucially, you're also talking about a background that is conducive to that, which yeah. means not tree branches moving. Right. Tree branches moving is bad. 
it, it was something microscopic, like you're saying, like in the mirage, like a distortion uh-huh. field. They told like it was so long ago. I don't remember. Um, but yes, they. I remember them saying the laser reads it because it's it's it knows what it's supposed to be when it comes out, and it knows what it's supposed to be in a vacuum when it comes back, and when it yeah. doesn't come back that way, it can tell you how it's coming back and why. And there are a lot of different teams working on this. They had something a few years ago called the Wind Rodeo, where they all went out and did this uh, and compared a bunch of different technologies. But to say that we're not around the corner for having our Leica Geovids or SIG 10Ks incorporate line of sight ranging is an understatement. Like, that's a long way off. Uh, I I would almost think a laser might come quicker than we think. We may jump up. We I think we might jump a leapfrog in a laser. I mean, look how fast it showed up in our cars. Radar, you know. Um, oh, for that. Yeah, but that radar is doing the same thing that the rangefinder is doing. It's not doing what the wind reader is doing. Right, right. But I still think we might see a leapfrog. I, I agree. I know what you're saying, but I, I think yeah. that technology may do a little like we think it's nine years out. And what may happen is we'll see it in three because it's going to like triple how quick they're able to build it. Or it's going to be, well, right now it's telling us nine years, but we're going to see it in five because we moved that fast towards it. Because once we realized what it was, we can get there quick. I think we'll have the Calypso wind meters in a year. And I think we'll have the other in not 10. <laughs> yeah. And I agree. With, and that's probably that's right. I that's in, in... But I, I think, don't get me wrong. There will be military units that do these kind of things, but I, I from a consumer standpoint, I, I think it's going to be a long time. Yeah. It'll be, it'll definitely be twice. And, as I, and I'm not really sure about when it comes to, obviously the Ventus has been delayed 10 million times already, but, that's a different technology that's fundamentally measuring a different thing in the way that it works. So I really don't know much about the development timeline of that and really how effective it's going to be for our, for our uses, you know? Yeah, I, it, it, exactly. It may just be a neat thing to have, but it really doesn't do you any good. <laughs> It may be quite effective, mm-hmm. you know, in an open terrain where the wind is doing relatively similar things. And it may be that if you try to use it in canyons and that kind of a thing, it won't be giving you the right averages of things. And it's probably going to be like, like, it'll like the 500 yards, it's going to have like this perfect record, but it's going to have the same exact record as like a comp shooter, <laughs> you know, it's going to be like to this distance, we're perfect. And it's like, yeah, but there's guys that'll clean every scenario to that distance and never miss, yeah. <laughs> you know? So like, what good is that? Those guys have gotten good. Yeah, they, they really have, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I do have a feeling that we're going to get to the, like the, the range that it works is going to be like within our operating range where we're like, we want 800 and beyond. It's going to be like 500 and in. <laughs> yeah, that may. Yeah, that may well be the case. Well, in the first hey. gen anyway, at least in the first gens. So have you tried SIG's BDX system out yet? 
I did early on, one of the SIG guys came out here and we shot it and did a video, the early hunting scope one. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and it was the Gen 1 that had the lines in the scope, so the dots kind of showed up. So I don't know if they've changed it since then, but that was the last time I touched a BDX system. Uh, had one of the local SIG guys come out and bring it, and we did a quick little video and a, hey, take a look at this. So that was the last of the of the four reviews I did was on the BDX. Of course, I paired that with the 10K. So, so I think I actually paired their second most expensive scope because that's what they happened to send me with the most expensive binos. But you the the system goes anywhere from like five hundred and fifty to four thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I've I've been taking out a bunch of inexperienced shooters on this thing because I thought you know. I feel like the way to test this out, the way that it's really designed for is a hunter that just wants to take the numbers off the box of ammo and plug it in, right? Yes. So that's exactly what I did, right? I took the numbers off the literal box. I didn't even use, I even used my, uh, the numbers that I'd taken from my, um, uh, chronograph. I actually literally took the numbers off the box, plug them in. And I've taken a couple of, shooters out <laughs> and they love it man it is surprisingly good i'm you know i i really really like the sig environment yes it, yeah they've created an interesting ecosystem right yes i really like it i think it serves everybody really well whether they want to go into a little comp side whether they want to go into a little hunting side where did it, and then the electronics? To, I, I mean, between the electro optical and all their stuff, I I do think their their ecosystem, like you said, is is really good. And they built the little, they built the bubble, not the bubble, the electronic level into those scopes too. Yes, I the have same one they've the, got um, in their uh... Tango. I have one of the Tangos. I actually we actually killed it not too long ago. It died horribly on us. Um. But I have one of the Tango 5s or 6s that have the level mm-hmm. in it. And I had played with that a previous year. And then, you know, these came with the level built in too. Actually, it feels a little like the Tango 6 was kind of a proof of concept on that. Mm-hmm. Because, the like, the level is huge on the side of that, right? It's got these, like, notches. And then it's got the, le- and then the, it's got the light-up thing in the notches. But the in the uh, BDX scope... It, it, the little arrows are actually in the, like the side of the reticle. Yes. There's no like notch. They're like, they're very seamless, very, you know, they're very sneaky in there, right? Right, right. And I like those. The arrows are fine. I think there, there's no problem. They basically say you're off here over there. I think the arrows in the optic are no problem. They've actually been level too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, but I think it's a great, from the standpoint of, it's really hard and I'm doing a bubble level article later this year. It's really hard to get a good bubble level reading without screwing up your shooting position at the same time, not getting a bunch of parallax in the bubble level. Yeah, well, you steer towards it. I mean, it's kind of why you see Phil and those guys they're running too. Cause they, if, if I look, if I'm in my car and I look left, I'm going left. Mm-hmm. And when you're in your rifle and you're basically putting it over there and you look past your scope to your level, you start steering that way. And I noticed a ton of people will, for lack of a better word, press into the level. 
Mm-hmm. And so that to me is become so with these systems that are putting that inside the optic so much better. I feel like that's the biggest missing feature on like alpha tier scopes. Like we're paying for everything, right? Why isn't there a level in there? The old US optics had a level in the eyepiece. They did. Like how come how come my Z my Z comp doesn't have a level in the eyepiece? Well, I honestly <laughs> I, I would tell Jeff I don't want one, but um yeah, I get it. I I, I I really do. Again, if if I had a choice of somebody putting a level in my scope, I would want what Sig did with the electronic. Yeah, I would want this. I would want Sig system versus a bubble of some kind. I would, if I was gonna go and run a level that way, I would turn on the Sig system and I would be like, okay. And then I would, it would have let me decide. Whether or not I want to, you know, is that enough? Is that flash enough that I need to turn it or is that, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Where it's it's one of these things where it's there, especially if I can kind of dim it and just put it to where it's telling me I'm a little off one way or another. Mm-hmm. I, 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 would, I would support that type of leveling system for a shooter because their head's in the optic. It's, it's not taking them out of the scope and off task. And so I can see a lot of benefits to the SIG side of things. Yeah. I like how they integrated it on, especially on these BDX systems, because mm-hmm. it's like they've got the digital scope anyway. They put one more thing in the digital scope and it's just a, a win. And the digital scope, you know, I think the farthest that I could make the thing get off, depending on magnification, was long shots. It could be as far as 0.3 mils off. But on shorter shots, it was less off, and on some magnifications, it had no error at all. And I think it's kind of hard if you're just using the number off the box. No matter what you do, it's going to be a little hard, unless it's really windy, to not be on the game. Yeah. At at the kind of ranges you should you should reasonably be hunting. Because it's it's good enough, and the amount better that that it is for an inexperienced shooter without a tremendous amount of knowledge than not having it is just overwhelmingly better. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that on in the east, which I guess here in Ohio counts as east because we have these rules as well. You know, you're not allowed to deer hunt with a bottleneck cartridge. Here. Right, right. You're straight you pipe, straight wall. Mm-hmm. Well, straight wall cartridge. What that means is that at ranges that it's still fairly easy to hit something, you've got a lot of drop because it's not moving that fast. It's also a bullet that's really round, not not super aerodynamic, <laughs> which which has the the plus that it's really stable when it transitions through transonic. And the minus that it transitions through transonic quickly. <laughs> yeah, and but the only thing, like you're a hot, you're so thick, and with that straight pipe, you're lucky to be getting a fifty yard shot, hundred yard shot in your woods and in your areas. Maybe you're off a field to get one fifty. It depends. It depends who you are and where you're hunting, because a lot of people are hunting on farmland too. Yeah, and that's where I was up in. I do classes in Jefferson, Ohio. There, um, Ashtabula, um, area. And we talked to local kids there who hunt, and they were showing us trail cam and all the stuff of all the deer around them. 
and the kids were telling us they can't even adjust sights and they don't have to, but they slayed deer all day, every day. And it's just, it's thick enough for them that their average is about a 25 to 50 yard shot. They go out with their, I think they're mostly running to the ARs with the straight pipe. And then um, mm, they okay. just, they just go and pop it with like almost like a red dot uh, is yeah. is what they were doing. And, and they, cause they knew they saw us as the class and they're like, Oh, you guys are shooters. And they were talking to us and they straight up told us they have no concept of how to dial any type of dope <laughs> to hit the deer, but then showed us, you know, 150 deer between the two kids that they killed. And a good stalker and somebody who sets up that kind of stuff is not going to have a problem. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. But I uh, know you, but yeah. you're, you're right. The, 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 the easier the system is for that hunter style. Cause that's where the 30 million people are versus the mm-hmm. 3,000 3, of us that are playing our game. The, you know, the 30 million guys out there who want to hunt, you absolutely want a system where you take the box, you put what's on the side of the box into the scope and yeah. then you go and get your 400 max shot and you know everything's going to turn out okay. And you know what? It's better for the animal. It's better for the person. It's better all around. I'm I'm a fan. And I feel like if you take your 4570 out there and you do that, like you can get a decent amount of range. Like yes. and the and the multiple that you've got over what you had before is huge. You know. Instead I mean, 400, of, if you can push out, I mean, 400's far, but if you can push out for Hunter in that context, but if you can get solid data and you know those electronics are helping you, I would. there's no way that a 400's beyond ethical. It's your skills that become the problem. Yeah. And, and so if you can bring your skills to match that range because the system's helping you, now you have so many more choices for a better animal. Yes. Yeah. And so many more choices in, in how to hunt it too. Exactly. Yes. Your you toolbox depending on, tripled. Because there's, you know, different people have different access to entirely different hunting arrangements. And if your access is a bunch of farm fields that you may have to shoot something across a couple hundred yard farm field, or you have a lot of opportunities to do that, that gives you that ability to do that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the choices is, are much easier. Yeah, you have a lot more choices, especially with those kind of straight-walled cartridges that that you have a lot of drop at fairly close ranges because some some of this stuff is kind of comical because it's like Well, if you if look- you're using a if you're using a six five Creedmoor to hunt, there's not that much drop at ranges that you're actually hunting at, right? No, no. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're using a 6.5 Creedmoor and you not take a 600-yard shot, I'd ask you what your problem is. Why did you not yeah. shoot that? You know, but with the, like, if you look at 22s, though, we're floating and doing stuff like with the Voodoos, with the Subsonics and all that. Once, if you put that straight wall cartridge into your software and you get out there and do a little bit of practice with it, that it's basically like what they're doing with the voodoo 22s in a lot of ways. And we know how accurate those guys are shooting to 400 yards. Mm -hmm. So if you can get that straight wall, I mean, there's no reason why you can't get a 300 yard kind of build in there, maybe to four, like I said, and the software should give you that, 
that rock solid predictability you would ask for in something else, you're just in a different, you're in that pistol cartridge now and not in a, in, in yeah, I feel like three can be made a pretty easy shot. Three it, should be no problem. Was, and, and before it was a, a non shot, right? Right. For a person of that, of that level of knowledge and skill, that was a non shot. And now it's, I feel like a pretty easy shot. The wind is not going to torture you too much. No, no. And I think that's a doable and it's still going to, it's still going to thump the animal. You're not going to sit there and have to like chase it all around. It's still going to hit with plenty of heat. And, and, and so if you do your part, that should, that should be a, like I said, another tool in your toolbox that should open up that opportunity for you for something bigger and better and, or more of, and, and, you know, it shouldn't be a downside. Yeah, I agree. Cool. What else are you working on, Jim? Seeing I've kept you well, for like an hour and 10 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So I'm thinking of maybe doing another another one of these to kind of summarize the $2,000 scopes uh, that I looked at the, in past years. I definitely want to do this for the sub $1,000 scope series that I'm doing this year because I, I – did a sub thousand dollar scope lineup a few years ago and I'm doing another one this year, nice. which I kind of, I kind of love to do because there's so much difference between sub $1,000 scopes. Right. And and that's what we see coming in uh, like entry level. Again, we're seeing a ton of the Arkans. We're seeing, you know, the, the lesser uh, vortexes. We're seeing a lot of those. And then like we got new OEMs popping up again. The apex is the one I talked to you about and showed you. We, we ended up putting that on that air rifle and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there is another crop of, you know, we went through the Ritons and the eight and the, um, Arkins and that, and now there's like another group coming out. Yeah. In fact, the Arkin, I think I just put up that review last week. So mm-hmm. excellent. Yep. excellent. That one's done. And I've got, um, primary arms, which you had me, uh, take a look at them at shot show. They're coming up next i think they then, do a ton they should work with you pretty solid they're 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 pretty big with their scopes right now they are they've been doing scopes a long time they've been doing scopes and i remember talking to them about reticles like maybe almost 10 years ago we had a long discussion on reticles because they've always been very um i would say innovative and different when it comes to reticles mm-hmm. they can they've combined a lot of different type features. They put in a lot of pinch gauges. They mix different types of features into the same scope. Like one of the reticles that I've got is a mixture of a 6.5 drop reticle with a mill dot, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. It's like the old uh, Night Force Velocity reticle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've, I've, find their reticle thinking kind of interesting sometimes i like it and sometimes i less less so like it well and they they work the ar crowd so a little bit more dynamic they're they're very heavy they're just now getting into more the precision rifle scopes we're starting to see them into the more 25s and stuff because before Mm -hmm. they were always in the six eight tens and so on in there so their reticles were more creative for the dynamic guys yeah, and they've got. I think I looked at some of their AR scopes at Shot Show. They had some really good illumination and uh, sec- second focal plane one to six. I think mm-hmm. actually it had a really flat field of view too, which is in a a one to X power scope. 
in the LPVOs, like being flat at one power is absolutely necessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny because normally pincushion and barrel distortion in like a long range scope is the most irrelevant thing in the entire optical performance. But my God, when it's goes down to one power, it has to be so flat. <laughs> like, or else you start moving around and you're just going to vomit all over yourself. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, talk about a, a case of the least important variable becoming all of a sudden the most important variable. That's the case right there. There you go. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, well, it was good talking to you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. This was awesome to get a hold. Sorry I had to blow you off from last week. I was nuked, and we were on the road the next day. I was like, I cannot do this today. Uh, and then, in fact, I, I got uh, John Weapon Snatcher in town. I picked him up from the airport today, and I was like, oh, shoot, I got Jim's thing today. And um, <laughs> and, and so, but I was, I'm like, I am not telling him no, even though it's like, no, no, no. We already told him no once. I got to get him on. But um, no, right. yeah, great shift uh, stuff you got going on there, and, and glad you're doing the lasers. We'll get everybody out to uh, check out the front page of the site. Uh, the app is up and going. We got a new drop on the app. There, uh, she just sent me over the new build. It's working really fast and really well, so they'll be pushing out an update for the app probably this weekend. And then we're going to jump on with some lives again and stuff like that. So uh, definitely appreciate everybody heading over to Sniper's Hide, reading Jim's articles and, and all the things that we got going on. I mean, optics talk. We, we're known for the optics, and you do such a great job with it, Jim. And, well, thank you. And, and everybody just is – it's like Sniper's Hide and Scopes, and, and Jim's just been keeping that flag up for everybody because I've dropped off. But uh, uh, he's definitely keeping the flag flying for us. Yeah, I had more scopes this year than I than I was able to take a look at. I'm a little bummed actually because you know Leopold wanted me to look at that two to ten. And I didn't really have time for that. Or the or the uh, it would have been it would have been great to do a, a, a lineup of the new high powered high end ones too. Like you know Z Comp's got one, mm -hmm. and Tangent did theirs this year, and Schmidt did one this year, and. Yeah, they just didn't really fit in. <laughs> yeah, well, we can only, like I said, that those ones don't sell like, you know, they don't race off the shelf. So sometimes even if you hit them a little bit down the road is not a bad thing because it's... Yeah, Tangent it, might not really even have theirs out for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 so you can, you can sometimes kind of hit them down even a year later because they just, they're not lighting the world on fire. And, and so um, they're just too expensive it, it, for people. And so yeah. getting press kind of intermittently helps. This is true. So Whereas this year was like, it was a big year for sub $1,000 scope releases. Yes. For a lot of them. Well, m people are hurting. We're seeing changes and we're seeing people, um, money's not going as far as it used to. So we're seeing a little bit of the belts tightening. Yeah. This is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, Jim. Well, I'll stay on the line real quick. I'm going to end this one, but thanks for everybody for listening. Thank you for sharing. We'll get this up right away, and um, we'll talk to you guys soon. But um, thanks, everybody.